I'm Liz Logan, and welcome to Collecting Culture, a podcast about passionate collectors and the stories behind the objects they love. Patricia Bellier calls herself an artisan quilter. She teaches quilting, and she's the owner of Ocon Arts, a shop inside her Seattle home where she sells vintage Japanese yukata cottons. A little bit of background on Patricia. Nine years ago, in 2007, she made her first quilt as an assignment for a creativity club, not knowing that it would kick off an obsession that would completely change her life. She was working full-time at the time as the head of a creative agency that she had founded. She had her own business, and she would come home every night and quilt until the wee ho- into the wee hours of the morning. And then she would wake up early the next morning to quilt before work. So she was losing all kinds of sleep and quilting in every spare moment. She says she had a lot of catching up to do because she felt like she had finally found her passion, and she was 53 years old at the time. Six years later, in 2013, she decided to quit her job to pursue quilting wholeheartedly because she said it was taking over her heart and her life. Then, quilting led Patricia to collect these gorgeous, vibrant, and very unique yukata cottons from Japan, and she ended up starting a shop. She's as passionate about her materials as she is about her medium. So Patricia and I talked about quilting and about yukata. Here are some excerpts from our conversation. So you started quilting in 2007, and then how did you come to discover Japanese yukata cotton? The first quilt I made was buying clothes at Goodwill and cutting them up because I didn't know. I thought quilts were made out of old clothing. So from my very first quilt, I've been what you might call a treasure hunter. I like to go um, find things that maybe people don't normally have access to to make my quilts. I, I like the fabric to inspire me. And so I started going to Japan and then I started quilting and I thought, well, what would it be like to make my quilts? with something that was Japanese. I didn't know there was this huge um, tradition of Japanese yukata cottons. I knew nothing about this hand-dyed fabric. And um, I've been completely taken by it. I will say that um, I'm into it pretty heavily. I checked this morning. My shop has 468 bolts online, but downstairs in the shop, there's 919 bolts, a few more that aren't online. So I, um, I've, dis- I've accepted the fact that um, offering yukata cotton to the world, introducing it to the world, showing people how to use it, it's my calling. It's actually something I'm rather serious about. So I do buy it, and I, do- I bought so much I had to turn it into a small business. What is yukata? So I import yukata cottons to make yukatas. And a yukata is an unlined, casual kimono. So most of us are used to kimonos being silk and gorgeous and very luxurious. And a yukata, 
the robe itself translates into English as bathing clothes. So you can imagine that it's um, not something you're going to wear to a wedding or wear out. So what I import are rolls of yukata cotton, which one roll is like a kit. And you would take that yukata cotton and you would take long lengths of it to make the yukata that someone would wear. And so yukata kimonos are are these lightweight summer kimonos, right? They are. Uh, originally, because I told you that it means bathing clothes, originally around the 1600s, they were worn by men in the steam houses, which is how people could bathe. But in the 1800s, bathhouses became the rage in Japan. And so people would go to the bathhouse and to return home walking on the streets, they would just scurry home in their yukata. So it has this history of being sort of part of your own world or your personal care world. They're often worn as house robes. People have yukatas, they wear them around the house. But as we've seen um, Japan become a first world country, every home, every hotel, having bathrooms, yukatas aren't playing the same role anymore. And so the, the robe, the yukata, has become a national costume. It has not gotten lost. And if you were to go to Japan and go to a summer festival, you would see people wearing the finest yukatas, ones that are now the right pattern for the season, the right pattern for your age or your marriage status, all dressed up with beautiful obis and your hair done up and geta. And so we still have yukatas in use today um, in people's homes, at festivals, and we have one more time when yukatas are worn. And that is when someone dies, when the body's transported to what we would call a funeral home, and I'm not sure what they're called. The person is put in their casual cotton kimono, and when they are being prepared, they're washed and put in their formal clothes. So the yukata plays a strong role still in Japan. What makes yukata cotton different from other fabrics? The fabric itself is typically dyed. The beautiful yukata cottons are dyed. So you get the same intensity um, of the color on both sides. We're used to, um, when we go to a store and we buy commercial cottons, we're used to it being printed. It's on one side. And on the back side, the pattern barely will show through. But with yukata cottons, not only are they dyed, the dye colors are so lush. They're very beautiful. And it's very hard to match a yukata cotton with another print in the, in the shop down the street, unless perhaps it's a batik, because batiks are dyed. I think of kimonos, and I think a lot of people think of kimonos as like, being in silk and like being embroidered and like these incredibly sumptuous fabrics. And yukata seems to be very different. Um, the tradition of textile arts in Japan is just phenomenal. What, what they have done and what they do with silk is, is the top that 
you know, there are places where fabrics are made for royalty, where they're incredible as well. But Japan and the Japanese craftspeople and, and how they make things, say manufacture things, um, creates um, incredible fabrics. So when we move to cotton and making um, a stencil, essentially a stencil print on this cotton, what happens is the motifs that are used in the Japanese textiles get simplified. And in fact, they get bolder and sometimes they get abstracted. And I find with the Yukata cottons a great appeal to me because of the um, pureness of the design. Instead of being a peony that is so multi-layered and then a layer of gold on, um, you know, on the tip of every leaf and it, it being very small and fine, you could find on a Yukata cotton that they might make that peony, <coughs> excuse me, motif, they might make a peony 12 inches wide and maybe it's just indigo and white and it's just this high contrast, big, beautiful, um, uh, a motif that is they would never do in silk. So what they do in Yukata cotton is it almost seems like it's more modern, more accessible. The thing that I find fascinating is the scale of some of the patterns. And I think, hmm, this is a fabric that's going to go on a very petite woman and it's, it's big. And we in our culture have been taught big women wear big prints, little women wear little prints, and it's completely turned upside down in Japan, and it's very exciting. That is so interesting that the the motifs become simplified. Uh, I did, when I was researching, I, of course, started looking on your website, and of course, I just wanted to shop for various fabrics, and I see, like, you have an entire section of butterflies, an entire section of dragonflies, an entire section of irises um, that all have different patterns within them. So talk about some of the motifs that you find commonly in these fabrics. I put things in categories, the geometrics for the men's very classic um, indigo and white patterns then indigo and white, very traditional um, floral patterns, water patterns, many other different motifs, pine needles uh, that we might expect. So I have all these different, I have pinks and reds if the background is pink or red. But you did notice that I have butterflies, dragonflies, or irises. And I also have tons of camellias and maybe more of many different um, motifs. I did that to help the people who are crazy about those motifs. So there you go. That's why you see those as categories. So I want to go back to your quilting now. What role does Yukata play in your artistic practice? So I made my first quilt in August of 2007. But what I will tell you is I was a fish who didn't know I was a fish until someone showed me the water. And I have, I have lost so much sleep and I have said no to so many things so I can quilt. I am crazy about quilting. I love cutting apart fabric and putting it together and seeing what will happen. And 
my first couple of years were with fabric from Goodwill and free boxes and people thinking I might like something. So my treasure hunting um, origins are strong. When I first got the Yukata cotton, I didn't even know what to do with it. I started, I had two bins of Yukata cotton before I ever cut into it. But maybe that's because I needed a little selection. I'm not sure. But I will say that the fabric makes me do it. I do really different things when I put Yukata cotton together in my quilts. You can imagine, I don't cut little one inch by two inch pieces of it if I've got 12 inch peonies to work with. I, um, for people who follow me, I don't look like I make quilts these days because for the last two and a half years, I've been working on a book and you don't show the quilts that are going to be in the book. So I've been stealthful and uh, I love to tell other people's stories anyway, but um, you could think, Boy, this woman uh, is for the last couple of years, we haven't seen her make anything. So have patience. My book manuscript releases in September, and then everything I do after September, I'll, I'll show you more of it. But I just, um, I guess by getting started, uh, and um, even when I work full time, I would quilt all night long, get up early, quilt before I went to work. I had a lot of catching up to do because I was 53 when I started. In the second half of our conversation, Patricia and I talked more in depth about Yukata cottons, and she gave me a primer on where to go fabric shopping in Japan, which basically makes me want to book a flight right now. What happened was in 2010, in January, I took a trip to Japan and I came back and here's how my mind worked. I thought I'd really like to write off that trip to Japan. So my first day back, I registered with the federal government and the state government, Ocon Arts, as a Japanese textile business. And then I had to sort of do some things because I was going to have to report. So I started um, doing little trunk shows at the front of people's fabric stores. Very humble wow. beginnings. I love that idea that because you love buying something and you love collecting something, you need to open a shop. I, I think a lot of people do that. I think a lot of people do. I think antique shops you go to that are just filled with things. I think they're things that the dealer just couldn't resist. He had to somehow get it into his hands. So I don't think people who do this sort of thing are thinking there's a market opportunity here. I don't think it works that way at all. This is super niche what I do. And um, the world really has not discovered it. The Japanese quilters certainly haven't. They just make their quilts out of silk, old silk kimonos. They don't think about using yukata cottons. Why vintage yukata cottons? Well, think about this. I, I've tried to figure it out. I only purchase vintage yukata cottons. I can't buy a bolt of today's yukata cotton, first of all, because I can't afford it. And I sell my fabrics to quilters and sewists. So a bolt of yukata cotton made today in today's workshops costs between $900 and $1,400 a bolt. If you think of today's labor, today's real estate, today's environmental policies, it's very expensive. So I buy vintage ones. And in Japan, there's no such word as vintage. 
the word that comes closest translates to used. So we have this Japanese love of anything that's new. Our modern society today loves new things or things that are antique that hit that hundred year mark and have this a special spirit. But this 20 to 50 year old you caught a cotton, um, people don't want it. And occasionally about 10% of my bolts, they come in damaged. But I can, uh, I can um, cut out the damaged part and still have yardage left that the world would love if they're working in smaller pieces. So um, that's an interesting thing is uh, finding the vintage fabrics. Liz, there's millions of people in Japan. Think about it, millions. And they all have to have yukatas. And think about most, just say 60s, 70s, 80s, anytime, there have to be new fabrics brought out for people to enjoy and to think about. So I have from um, 30 years ago, bolts that are novelty bolts for pop stars who are coming out. Or, you know, whatever the rage was. I have bolts with the logo from the Osaka World's Fair. So it's nonstop, actually, um, some of the things I've seen. I have one with windmills on it, one with koala bears. So it's, um, there's traditional, and then there's sort of up, updated and offbeat and novelty uh, motifs. There's lots. There's beautiful ones, ones that appeal to me, and there's ones that I don't like at all. So as a person who buys and imports it, if I don't like it, I don't buy it. I don't just buy it because I found it. I buy it because I think it's a, it's a very nice design. I think, I think it looks like a bolt that's in good shape. And then I, I make the choice to buy it. So what don't you like? Sometimes the Japanese do what I call a have-it-all kind of mishmash. They don't do roses very well. I think the roses are really, only occasionally will I buy a rose pattern. I have gotten a few that I like. But sometimes they're just, I don't know what they were thinking, but they just go so garish. Um, it's pretty easy for me to buy the geometrics. I probably have just under, I probably have about 100 geometrics in my collection. I sell them and then I buy more. But the indigo and white men's geometrics, they are nonstop available to me. And I only have limited funds to shop. I like to buy really classic indigo and white, white and indigo. And then in the 60s, the Japanese decided they didn't have to have indigo. And they started making these very vivid bolts. So bolts with yellow backgrounds, pink backgrounds, green backgrounds. They're pretty phenomenal. They're not that easy to find in the vintage world. And I, um, I like to buy those if they're um, wonderful designs. And those are geometrics? No, no. The ones that are vivid, none of them are geometrics. They're all um, florals, abstracts, um, something that I call representational. Occasionally, they'll have something that's much more realistic, like um, what would be one? A, the, a cat, a fence, uh, a hat. Sometimes it's of an object that's not very, um, not very simplified. It's a little more um, realistic. So you're saying in the 60s, they 
decided, like they decided there could be a much greater color scheme or was it just indigo before that? Well, it's pretty much just indigo, indigo and white, white on indigo. And when you think about the 60s, we went psychedelic. I mean, tie-dye, colors everywhere, um, you know, the British invasion. We were going crazy with color. So the Japanese got a little colorful that decade. And so if you're a quilter and a fabric nut, which both of us, are, we both are, um, of course, I mean, like, I dream of going to Japan because I know the the fact there's such an, as you said, there's such an amazing textile history there. There are so many amazing fabrics that come out of Japan. Uh, Koka is one of my favorite um, fabric companies. I love Yoshiko Jinzenji as a designer. And I know you you have a thing on your website about her. So what do you tell people about going to Japan to buy fabric? Like, where where should I go? Well, I can't buy much of what I want when I'm just on the ground there. I have about 30 different um, people around Japan who I work with on the internet. So that's not very helpful. So I have my um, purchases sent to Tokyo consolidated and shipped. But I will give people um, a little primer on... Um, buying that airplane ticket and just getting there. I um, do have some places um, that I could suggest they could go to. I do want them to go to Kyoto just because Kyoto is, uh, it's the most romantic city in the world. It did not get bombed in World War II. It's pretty much intact and every corner you turn, there's something wonderful. But in, if you land in Tokyo, you have to go to Blue and White. That's Amy Kato's shop in the Azubu-Juban district. And she does have Yukata cottons. They're made by contemporary artisans. Amy Kato works hard to make sure the arts and crafts of Japan are still a living tradition. And she has many things in her shop that uphold the artisans' work today. So blue and white in Tokyo, you're going to go to Napori Fabric Town and you're going to find shops that sell everything from notions to uh, yardage, but there's vintage kimono shops there. And when you walk in, you'll see a lot of silks. You might see yukatas. And remember, you can always take a part of yukata and have that fabric for your project. But if you're looking for bolts, ask the person there, just say, Vintage Yukata Tenmono. Tenmono tells them you're looking for a bolt. And they might have three or five bolts. And if you don't have any geometrics, you could probably buy a geometric. I found that they have a lot of geometrics. And sometimes they're damaged. But that's the trick. You can even go into an antique shop and say, Vintage Yukata Tenmono. And it's not embarrassing. And it gives you a reason to walk into a shop you really should be walking into. So um, there you go. I'm telling you, you can just walk around and if it looks promising, you can look for it. There's also the flea markets. The flea markets are um, done at temples and the one I recommend is the Katano Shrine Flea Market in Kyoto, the 25th of the month. And there are lots of fabrics there. Maybe not so much you caught a cotton bolts, but you're going to go crazy. You're going to have access 
two bolts of silk and old kimono and old yukata. And um, it's, uh, it's a great morning to go to a flea market. And is it actually called Nip- Napori Fabric Town? It is in English. It's a district in um, Tokyo. And um, there's a train station and a subway station that both have the name Nippori in it. And the signage from the station helps you get to this area with 100 fabric shops. And they have cute little banners, say Nippori Fabric Town. So that's pretty much have to go there. You have to look around. Patricia teaches workshops on yukata quilting, and she's also working on a book, which is called Improv Quilting with Japanese Fabrics. And it will likely be published late in 2017. So keep an eye out for that. To learn more about Patricia and her yukata cottons, you can visit her website, which is oconarts.com. That's spelled O-K-A-N. The music and editing for this podcast was provided by my co-producer, my brother, Andrew Logan. More of his work can be found at logansound.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate us in your podcast app of choice, and tell your friends. For more photos and details from this and our other episodes, visit collectingculturepodcast.com or show us your collection by tagging Collecting Culture Podcast on Instagram. We'll be back next month with another collector.